Greetings, future fossils. Michael Garfield here. This week we have a wonderful conversation with Susan Molnar, coder, tech educator, advocate, someone who truly understands the landscape of learning in this increasingly technological age. And of course, if we were to take a step back from our moment and try and make sense of this era, then perhaps the place to start is by investigating what it is that we choose to pass on to children and how we choose to teach. Because, of course, the methods themselves become ingrained in our perception and the way that we understand the world and the way that we pass it on to our children in turn, the way that they will pass it on to theirs. So for a deeper sense of who we are as people and of the times that we're living in and the ways that these times are changing us, then, yeah, we should look to the educational systems that we put into place and the changes that we feel we have to make to these systems in order to adapt to the way that things are going. Before we get started, just a moment to remind you, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you happen to be listening to it. It is a volunteer effort, a labor of love. And unless you're feeling especially affluent and want to chip in to the continued success of this work at patreon.com slash Michael Garfield, then the easiest and free way to ensure that this podcast gets into the ears of other people who enjoy it is to get up there and leave a glowing review. You gotta game those algorithms, folks. It helps us find the others. Quote unquote. For those of you who want to join the conversation that we've started, Future Fossils has a Facebook group. It's easy to find. I hope you'll join us there. Share a lot of inspiring tech and science news in that group if you don't get enough of that good stuff. Lastly, just real quick, I want to apologize to you guys for the crackly sound in some parts of this episode, as well as some of the other episodes that have come out lately. We were using the wrong call recorder app for a couple months there and didn't realize it until it was too late. The new episodes we're recording all sound totally crisp and perfect, and I cannot wait for you to hear them. Thanks for sticking with it, because these conversations are just too good to throw out. And besides, you can't future-proof anything anyway. In 10 years, we'll all be wondering why we had to listen to people talk at all, and it wasn't just downloaded into our brains. Anyway. Enjoy this fun chat with Susan Molnar, who's out there in the streets, getting kids ready for a future that we don't have to live in. <laughs> Just kidding. You all have to live in it. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Future Fossils Podcast. I'm here with Susan Molnar, who I met at MoogFest 2016, giving a talk on techno-shamanism. She's a very interesting cat. We haven't had too much time to acquaint ourselves with one another, except for the 40 minutes we just spent troubleshooting <laughs> this insane recording. So I hope that all of you appreciate the amount of time that goes into producing this nonsense. Welcome on board, Susan. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> and yes, yes, troubleshooting will always keep me in a job. <laughs> That's a good... always update and never be on the same page and things will break and then everyone's got to relearn the new system. <laughs> the, reason, the reason that I was so glad to invite you onto this, though, is that uh, actually working with me just now is sort of like what you do for a living all the time. And, and you you have a lot of fingers in a lot of different projects, I guess. I'm known but, for being you, very diverse. But you spend a lot of time working with kids and technology, and that seems that seemed like the place to start because the whole framing of, of our conversation at Future Fossils around long-term views and, and looking into the future and seeing, trying to imagine what it will be like for us as, as the ancestors, you know, and it's I think we got a little window into that today. Just like things <laughs> break and you don't know why. And like 
having a sense of humor about it and like <laughs> being curious. So could you tell people a little bit about what you're working on these days and you know who you're associated with and all that? Um, yeah. So where should I start? Um, I'm currently in grad school at Purdue University for learning design and technology, but I'm based in the South Carolina um, Greenville area. In a, I actually live in a rural area outside of a tiny town called Traveler's Rest, where I have a studio. I help start a nonprofit that helps kids learn about technology called Introduction to Technology to Programming Inventors, which has is about three years old. And um, we're kind of in a transition period right now. And when I can, I have been trying to help them transition. I was very much involved being a teacher and helping set up the structures and help set up the curriculums and well, help set up our first couple of classes and get grants and stuff when we first started. Um, and then the kids got super excited and wanted to take it over. So we let them do that. Now, a lot of our wonderful students have, uh, who are teachers, because we really believe in student teaching and then people like me being the mentors and kind of like, come to me when you got problems or what, you know, coaching and, you know, what mentoring is. But a lot of our core kids are moving on to other things, which is amazing. But now we're trying to transition, like I said. And I'm also transitioning as well. Uh, I was the Google Policy Fellow for the American Association of People with Disabilities over the summer, which was an amazing opportunity to, to go to uh, D.C. and work with them on a lot of uh, civil rights and um, just health and just amazing different um, advocacy communities doing what they can to improve the world and then having my whole like maker background like maker how do we do this how do we think about this kind of thing going on um, with all that and yeah I guess that's a bunch of it I don't know if that's <laughs> <laughs> well that's actually that gives us a lot of really interesting avenues to explore you know one of which is this combination, well, first of all, you said programming inventors. You know, that's kind of a pun, right? Like you can, <laughs> I mean, here you are applying a uh, computational metaphor to educational process. And the thought, I'm reading a, a book right now talking about John Lilly's programming and metaprogramming the human biocomputer. Mm -hmm. And this notion of programming ourselves and programming our children. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's in a way, it's sort of like the cycle of abuse, right? That we <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> we came out of this paradigm in you know the seventies, eighties, nineties, where that's that was very much the implicit, if not explicit, educational agenda. I mean, that's really been true from the beginning. You know, turn the school into a factory that produces people who work in factories, and now we're you know we we have co working spaces. <laughs> and, you know, the, like the tech ranch here in Austin. So if you want people that are going to work in whatever is growing up in that thing, then you've got to sort of mold them to be little, you know, good little programmers. Maybe I'm being <laughs> cynical. You are a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. I'm usually that person. So it's but, nice to have somebody else do it. <laughs> but, okay. So, so, but then the, the other part of it is that it really is, it really is, you know, get into this. It's not one or the other, you know, that the, the problem and the promise are both encoded also in the work that you're doing or that you were doing as the uh, the Google fellow because you know you get that Freudian thing about every technology is a prosthesis you know and and this this issue of where the where the boundary lies with ability disability and empowerment of our technologies versus what we just experienced <laughs> of how disempowering and frustrating it can be when they go wrong and there's no obvious way to determine why. Where does my body end and somebody else's product begin? So I don't know. What do you think about all that stuff? Uh, well, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I met you, you know, Neil Harbison was like standing behind us or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And, um, and I do think that, you know, the whole cyborg and who owns what and the implantations of things. And, you know, like uh, there was a new prosthesis that came out recently that uh, actually you have a surgery that wires your nerves directly into it. Um, and so, yeah, so you can actually use the prosthesis with your mind um, and 
control. Um, but it is an actual, but it's still a product and it's a product that's made from outside yourself, unless you're a programming inventor and made it yourself, which there's that guy, I think he's, no, that he's in France. Um, there's one, in, there's a dude in New Mexico and then there's a dude in France who built his own like Arduino arm um, from scratch, <laughs> like a hundred bucks. Arduino. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and of course, there's the enabling, uh, the enable project that um, Johns Hopkins helps host, which has gone, you know, around the world and has like a million people 3D printing limbs from the, their free downloadable um, things. So I think that's a very interesting, um, yeah, vein of thought that not many people get to exploring. And I'd say that's also even it within those those advocacy communities most of the advocacy communities um i'm not sure where to explore that at because a lot of times it's about trying to help people get the services and help that they need for immediate needs and for immediate populations that need those needs or people who are trying to take them away which is fucked up but is sorry i'm not sure if i can say that word but i just did oh you totally can <laughs> This is this is an explicit podcast in the okay. iTunes store, so you're safe. You're safe to say whatever you like that you can't say around your students. <laughs> I've been good. I was really good. I was asked to give a talk actually at. Um, it's kind of an alternative, not unschool because unschool is a whole different thread of things. They're trying to be the next. They're calling themselves next high school, and they want to be the the paradigm for like next things like helping people work in groups, helping people to discover their potentials, helping people to, you know, how do you get people to uh, support whatever it is that you're building in your ideas. And I was very good because I, I spent like a, I had, a, I gave the, a talk and I did not swear the entire time in front of like a room of like 200 high school students. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> but um, getting back to your original point, I think that there's a budding conversation there. But I'm not sure how much it's getting into that mainstream world so much. I mean, that conversation has been going on underground for years with the grinder community where people like make crazy devices and implant them in themselves and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's where that, actually where that edge becomes um, that where that edge becomes more solidified and mainstream you're starting to see it more and more with things like maker fairs where you ha have all these grinders and hackers and people who've been doing this for like 30 40 years who are now oh i've got kids or i've got nephews and i want them to experience this and their parents are like but we want to do it in a little bit more controlled and <laughs> somewhat um how can we do this in a way that's interesting but mitigated i guess and that, I think that's always the, how do you do this in a way that that people can take something that they can experience from it that adds into their experience, but not scare them away at the same time, somewhere where they can understand, because I've been um, around these kind of communities for pretty much my whole life. And it's like, sometimes you have these incredibly interesting communities, but there's not really an entry point. So if you don't know what port to get into, to put get your you know to access through some like deep web IRC you know backdoor then you are just not in there and if you hit if you find the right person and you bug them enough and you just won't go away then maybe they'll show you but now that now we've got you know at Barnes and Noble you can go and get the make magazine with this are these are your tools this is where you get them from here yeah. go online go to Instructables, one, two, three. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you said something in there that I found kind of interesting. There's, there's a weird confluence between people, you know, parents wanting to empower their children to live in a world that they don't understand, to be prepared for a world that, that isn't ready yet or, or is on the cusp of being there. You know, this, this, it's just, it seems like, you know, I was growing up with this, this notion that the world will be different when I get older, but nothing like the way that kids are being hit over the head and parents are being hit over the head with that message now. Yeah. And it's curious to, because well, I'm, I'm the, sure with you in Austin too, that's 
even more so because people are more aware of it there. Yeah, I think so. so in general. But it's it's interesting that there's a collision between, I imagine, you know, as, as someone who thinks a lot about parenting but is not yet a parent, um, there's a collision between when I model this internally, my own desire to to prepare my children, to empower them, but then also uh, my own future shock and my concern for, you know, what what I witnessed growing up, which is that, you know, the corporate interests that are selling us on stories of progress are basically guinea pigging the consumer base for their products. And it's one of these things where it's like, do I really want my kids to be ready for the world to come, right? But at the same time, I don't want to subject them to, you know, unscrutinized or like inadequately investigated technologies and educational programs. And like, what's, yeah. what's been your, you know, it's like, it's like this thing about yeah. like helicopter parents and it's like, well, now you can actually put a, a camera on a drone and you could have a quadcopter parent. You know, it's like uh well, you know, you've got kids as young as what six who have their own cell phones now that only that can be tracked and you can always know where your kid is at all times. I'm like, I I really that is definitely something that comes into my consciousness because you know I grew up in the 90s where I think I had a cell phone midway through high school. But hey, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry I didn't hear you calling. Goodness, <laughs> I don't know what was going on. Uh, but I'm back now and I'm alive, so it's okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, now you've got like cell phone trackers that are with parent-enabled things, or who knows? I'm sure somebody's figured out some sort of app to put on their kid's phone where they can hack the camera, which is probably illegal, but you know they'll do it anyway. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's a very interesting thing, and I actually have a lot of thoughts on that um especially with like the startup culture it's starting to calm down a little bit as far as like you know you want to be the next entrepreneur you really want to do a startup and you're going to be amazing so amazing and i've seen a lot of um young people especially um some of my younger male friends really really buy into that and then they become so upset or, you know, there's so much anxiety when they don't feel like they've achieved by the time they're 20. <laughs> and I think that, you know, uh, what they call um, success porn is the uh -huh. new term for it. You know, like, I'm going to be the next, but I don't even know. Like, I don't really care I, what I care about um, and what Zuckerberg, I feel. Zuckerberg, Musk. <laughs> You know, those, that 13-year-old inventor on TED that ruined it for all of us. Yes, yes, which had his entire family and friends behind him supporting him, who comes from a background who's able to spend that much time inventing. And then, you know, more importantly, marketing to the right people. Um, Definitely. And making sure that that gets in the, the right social consciousnesses uh well not social consciousnesses i guess advertising right distribution channels because uh, i invented some cool shit when i was a kid and like i didn't have an agent yeah <laughs> i've always put my friends and i always joke about like damn it if etsy had been around we'd be millionaires by now now we're old and tired <laughs> which actually one of the I, i've heard the guy who started etsy was actually in my class at art school but um I never knew him, so. But I'm always like, when people are like, "What's the deal with your art school education?" I was like, "It's informed me to be a human being that can survive in this ever changing world." And look, some people actually did something that impacted something that you would care about. But um, I'd say um, it's important to have those human structures always, and having that, and that's a big emphasis with our program. Is technical skills are great. And we try to expose kids to technical skills. And, hey, this is a Raspberry Pi. A Raspberry Pi is a baby computer. It's 25 bucks. What do you want to do with a baby computer that's 25 bucks? <laughs> Let's think of some cool things. But always having some type of a um, person who's also really, you know, made some cool things when they were a kid that never had the chance to market them to everybody. But, you know, somebody who's, Somebody who ha is passionate about learning and sharing, but also approachable um, for our 
our uh, younger generation to be able to talk to and not be talked down to, but to mm. be able to be a resource and to be able to be like, look, you're on your journey. I'm on my journey. And like my kids know for sure that I, I say this to them. They'll come up to me sometimes. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You learn so much on YouTube by yourself. And you are way beyond my technical comprehension at this point about that thing. But I do have 20 something years on you about other things, which you may not understand. So maybe that thing that you learned that you want to deploy that may, you know, embarrass your principal and get you expelled. Let's think of a different place to do that more positively. Like, <laughs> or how can we think about these things, or maybe let's, if we're going to do that, you can do that. Just make sure you do it consciously or anonymously or like why would we do this so like making sure like to think about all of the different structures and how they fit into the different structures with each other um so it's not always so that's my thing (laughs) can can you can you give an example of a project that one of these kids wanted to work on that you had to sort of that on a podcast i'm sorry okay as soon as i said that i was like i should oh yeah Because I definitely, you know, I... I but you I, know, kids want to blow stuff up. Kids want to, like, hack things. They want to take down a network because they just can show that they can. And uh, that's yeah. awesome. Like, you know, like, but that's not always the most appropriate use of your time. Like, it's no, it is an appropriate use of time. I shouldn't say that. It's an awesome use of time. You just um, don't know what you're getting yourself into. Is the, You're tugging at the loose threads of yes. this very toothy society that you live in. Yeah. You need to be aware that as you're doing that, if you're as you're doing that and you're talking about it on your Skype, which is owned by Microsoft, or you're collaborating about it on your Google Docs, which are owned by Google, that you are also <laughs> that you're not secure. So unless you're going and even knowing that Tor networks are not exactly the most secure things, everything can be broken. But also every that everything can be broken, but also everything can be built. And that was one of the things I, I think as a young artist, um, some of the people who I worked with were very much adamant about if you made this, you can also break it. And sometimes breaking it and remaking it makes something even cooler. And mm. so because people will spend hours and hours and hours and hours and making a very precious object. But that object and the, and that object sometimes it's great to have a precious object to you know remember that you spent this much time or there's so much emotion or there's so much something that's in that object that helps you reflect on on whatever it is and transfer that to other people. But sometimes that also you know how does that fit into other things and that those things also break and can be remade into other things. And I think especially um, we're at a very catalyzing point in our society. We're at a point where a lot of new technologies are enabling communication, innovation in ways that are never before, but we're breaking old systems. So how are we going to transition through all of these old systems that are breaking with new updates like our Skype call? (laughs) And how are we going to educate others? to understand what those problems were to how we got them together to another point to where we can continue to communicate and be human. Mm. (laughs) There's something in the breaking building dyad there that I don't feel comes through in a discussion on creation destruction Mm -hmm. because, you know, like going to Burning Man, for example, to step sideways in maker culture Mm -hmm. and to look at, the very hotly contested definitions of art in that environment where such an emphasis is placed on the ephemerality of art and the destruction of our creations as the actual performance of something that it's not actually the building, but it's in the process of the, the burning of a piece. That's the actual release of light heat information that we're, that we're attempting to emphasize. But in that, it doesn't capture this thing in, in breaking and building where it's actually, if you're burning a giant, like my buddy Dadara made the giant like uh, <laughs> hand with the giant thumb for Burning Man a few years ago. And burning, like burning that was actually building 
the thing. It wasn't breaking the thing that there is, you know, when you talk about complexity and, you know, complexity in math or in system science and complexity is where the algorithm that generates the pattern, you can't visualize, you can't predict the pattern simply looking at the algorithm. Like the Mandelbrot set is such a simple piece of code. And, and so breaking, breaking that is actually upstream from the conversation of creation destruction, right? Like that there's, it's almost like a, a completely different axis. You know, that, that breaking and building suggests a function that is sort of independent from whether you're physically assembling something or physically disassembling something. The, 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 the function may be like unearthed or disclosed by the disassembly. It's a kind of subtle. Well, the breaking and building thing, like, I don't think I know any programmer who's done some sort of application or code or built something that hasn't gone off without having to troubleshoot it at some point. So there's usually a breaking in the process. But um, in that breaking process, so what is it when you burn it or deploy it? Is that when it goes off into the world or you have a thing that runs around that's separate from you? Is that... You know, it's burned itself off from you into its own thing. That's I don't know. That's an interesting concept. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were getting at. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. This, I mean, again, because like we're talking. I just gave a rapid fire five minute presentation last night on treating our technologies as though they are children, Mm -hmm. and this this thing about because I mean now it's we're at that point where we're no longer using brute force computational techniques on artificial intelligences, but we're actually training them like a pet and. And, Which is uh, so interesting, so it's incredibly so interesting. cool, yeah. But then it's like <laughs> you gotta you gotta let your kid fall fall and skin their knees, you know. And so you get exactly what you just said that there's this thing about about mm-hmm. in- integrating failure, breakdown, and uh, you know surprise and difficulty into the process that seems so much more natural and and sort of true to living systems where you know the bone. The bone actually grows back, fuses and grows back stronger after it's been broken. Right. Which is, you know, the Stanford Design School, that's their whole thing is, you know, rapid ideation, rapid prototyping, fail fast, which those things are now being co-opted into um, business terminologies and, you know, seminars and whatever, which it's interesting. I, I feel that's the really interesting thing when I've been in more corporate settings and seeing those types of ideas being maybe integrated into more traditional environments and having people's minds blown for the first time <laughs> or, or they're just not pro- like, or when they're not facilitated well and people are like, why are we sitting here playing with straws and tape? I don't understand. And I think again, that's where um, sometimes, and and then the people who are facilitating it, who think it's the coolest thing in the world or who, or who may not have been trained in a well enough way to approach their learning population are like, why don't you understand this is the coolest thing in the world? We've got straws and tape. And I think that's where we have to be careful about those divides. But I think the people who are going to get the most of it are um, in those burns. If you understand what's going on, even if there's failures, being able to understand that those experiences all end up in your complete experience and so the more complete experiences you have through different journeys in different places or different traveling different cultures and different times in your life and respecting people who've been through different things in different times in their life you're going to have a better way of being able to help communicate and transfer and so uh, i don't know if that's what i try to do at least <laughs> be aware i'm like i don't have all the answers I don't know what's going on sometimes. That's okay, but I'm going to try to be aware. And actually in my graduate studies, which I I totally love my degree, Purdue is freaking awesome. Um, It's a little bit different than what I expected because I thought that we'd have a little bit more technology emphasis, but that's okay. But one thing we are doing that I wasn't really expecting is we're doing a lot of assessment training. Like, how do you assess? How do you assess what a situation is? And how do you figure out... how to design something that will bring the best outcome for for the person who is asking you to bring the outcome and for the learning population involved. And um, we had a fantastic class on like learning theory, the psychology of learning theory. And so I don't know, behaviorism, B.F. Skinner and the whole rats yeah. and 
cheese and you know a lot of people especially i think maybe in our friends and communities that we might be a little bit closer to are like oh behaviorism no go away but well, just 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 for the listeners to clear this up this kind of loops back to the this issue of programming people and you know the, the environment of media warfare that we're in now is you know based on this input output model of human psychology where you know if i do this then the stimulation creates this behavioral response and so that's it's understandable that you know we're like grossed out by this that well, you know that that's my, my 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 gut is grossed out by this you know like oh no i i don't want to do that i am a constructivist i want to let people i'm the god on the <laughs> side let people do their thing no okay but when we had to do our coursework with it and we had to do case studies and actually reading people who had studied about this, they made the point that for some kids and adults with autism, this is the best learning facilitation method. And mm. I'm like, oh, <clears throat> I need to step outside of my own brain and comfort zone and understand that this is the best way for certain peoples of certain types and I'm not going to, and autism is an extremely fascinating and unique. And every person with autism is extremely fascinating and unique in my opinion. And I'm not going to speak for all autistics, but I will say that was part of, that was something that came up in our literature and learning. And I was like, that's, that's something that, that is, you know, hmm, you know, can I put my own things aside? And I, I would say I was in a teaching environment once too, where I went to a school that was completely like, do your own thing, make your own way, you know, find your mentors, you have to, you know, grab them and like make them listen to you and think about you, you know, like being able to like, try to mimic what it is to be an actual, uh, like, you had to survive as an actual artist. Um, mm -hmm. And you were giving a community to do that and with some tools. But then when I was teaching in a vocational program, I tried to teach that same way and it didn't go well because that's not what the, that's not what was the expectation and that's not what the students wanted. And that was not what was preparing them for what they wanted to do with themselves. And so I think that's, that's always the dialogue. And like, and as you said, media, you have to, um, so I did a, I started my master's in media studies before I had my cancer, which mm. we haven't talked about that at all. Yeah, but we should, we should. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's funny because I forget to mention it these days because I guess I'm feeling better. But um, so, yeah, I had a stem cell transplant for leukemia, which uh, sucked. And um, I had cancer and I have lifelong issues from it now, hence I'm some, um, disabled. But yeah, media studies is a passion of mine. Basically, most of my undergrad was like very much studying media. It was at the new schools doing media studies. And I think every I think that is something we should be teaching from like first grade, second grade, as, as soon as kids start being able to understand that they're receiving messages, they should be <laughs> figuring out how right. to decipher these messages. Well, that's, uh, it's, you know, new school media theorist, Doug Rushkoff, you know, it was like, should, yes. as soon as kids can read program or be programmed, they, they probably should. Uh, yes. He, I was, he was still teaching there when I was in the program. I actually, he, I got to hear some of his lectures. He's amazing. He's one envious. of my favorites actually. Yeah. <laughs> He's a guy we'd love to have on the podcast, real influential thinker. Last time I was in New York, I was reading Present Shock. Yes. You know, I was reading Present Shock while on the subway, reading about how Manhattan is being optimized for fiber optic communication. It's turning into a giant computer chip. You know, mm -hmm. and I was like, I got off the subway and I've got Present Shock in my hand and across the street is the new school. And I'm on my way to pick up my Google Glass. Which, by the way, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned that that's uh, that's something that you've been using in your programs a little bit. And I'm curious about well, that. The way that came about was, I don't know, two people in our program got really excited about it and bought it on a whim. Um, <laughs> it's the only way it happens. Nobody's like, I'm going to sit here and deliberate for a year. Oh, lost your chance. Well, we did actually, we had a grant that we were trying to develop some OCR technology, um, optical character reading technology to try to use it with sort of some sort of, I don't know. It was one of those like, you guys do that. I'm going to do something else. But, <laughs> but that sounds cool. But uh, they were trying to work with a local company to do that. But it was, it was okay. But what it has been awesome that I have seen it do a lot of really great things with is we'll have kids from all sorts of different backgrounds 
and we put and they and they love playing with it. They love being able to see this thing. They love being able to do the like play with it and and like the way it enables them to play in a different way. Which um, I don't think you well maybe you saw this because you're on my social media. But my brother works at Microsoft actually. He has his PhD from Berkeley and he's a computer scientist. And um, but anyway, he loves me, so he sent me a Hololens to help do some development for. <laughs> Whoa, that is love right there. So, yeah, love I love my brother so much. Um, actually, his his whole thing. Um, he just launched this thing called Project Springfield, which is using um, cloud based, uh, as you mentioned, the. Um, uh, machine learning to uh, do bug eradication um, lately. You should look it up. It's really cool. Oh, I will, yeah. And he's he's just a sweetheart. But yeah, so my friend and I actually, I went to, uh, I had a conference that I was invited to go to on disability inclusion in the workforce. And then afterwards I had this ticket and I was like, I'm going to go back to New York and hang out with one of my dearest friends and we're going to try to play with this HoloLens and get something done. And so far we're we're more artists and, you know, modelers and we're, we're getting there, but yes, our, my coding skills are okay. Sometimes maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but I really do think that augmented reality and headsets and VR is really going to be the wave of the future. And especially, I think it's going to be disrupting learning um, and learning transfer communities the same way that video did and the same way that, the internet is starting to, but I think it's going to take it to a whole nother level the more it becomes popularized. Because I've already seen it. Like, they'll do these walkthroughs, you know, with um, people who've done uh, what's it, like remodels for hospitals and they'll do a Google SketchUp and then they have a tablet that they walk around with and they can see this is where the door would be. This is the where, and they can do all the prototyping beforehand. I actually met some awesome NASA scientists this summer too. They're trying to do the the ideas glasses where they can see like where are um, gases that are coming out of places they shouldn't be that may not be <laughs> protectable. <laughs> I know, Thanks, right? NASA. <laughs> but I don't know. NASA's. I met a really awesome material scientist over there who was blowing my mind with like flexible gear shafts and like new materials made out of glass and titanium like glass metal glass metal is freaking awesome yes agreed in fact like (laughs) when i when i was uh exploring the creative potentials of glass not as a coder but as an end user Mm -hmm. a few years ago and you know looking at just the very basic thing that's you know that's that's been explored by other virtual reality journalists this issue of being able to show something from your point of view you know, what that does to people to see through one another's eyes, but then also, yeah. also this issue of transparency, surveillance, accountability, mm-hmm. and the notion that a camera, you know, we talk about shooting people with cameras, that a camera is kind of a, like a phallic object. You know, we talk about the penetrating gaze, mm-hmm. you know, and I realized that huge part of people's discomfort with Google Glass was that it's one thing to realize that the phone in your pocket is watching you. And it's another thing to, to have it, the camera mounted on someone else's face. That this issue of consent became really obvious that, that there is a, a, a kind of sexual relationship between the person taking the picture and the person being snapped, being, being taken. Didn't Susan Sontag have a whole treatise on that at some point about the violent language of photography? And I don't um, know, but I should look into that. That's yeah, that's, <laughs> that that's, was a very hot topic in um, critical theory, like I guess eight years ago, 10 years ago now about, you know, like we cut things and we, yeah, we shoot them. And we, Oh my and, God. Yeah. And then, well, I actually, you know, I talked about that uh, as an aside, I talked about that recently with Eric Davis who mm-hmm. was we were, we were discussing hacking mm-hmm. you know and just like do we really is this really you know if, if the goal is to connect you know then why are we talking about it as though we're we're just <laughs> like what, like hacking you're it. coming at it with like <laughs> yeah with the blade but but um but in this in this whole metaphorical gestalt surrounding google glass and then also weirdly at the same time the paranoia surrounding the Edward Snowden revelations about the America's PRISM program. <laughs> so we have, like, on the one hand, we have, you know, everyone's, inter- you know, the, the glass 
and then you yeah. make a prism out of it and then through the prism you have i mean that's like the cover of the dark side of the moon yeah you know, it's like exactly the, you know we well, see if you really the, want to freak yourself out go look up iarfa um Owen. <laughs> IARFA. i will and then and then also you know time warner cable is now spectrum yeah so i mean that's just like it's it's all a little too too like linked but but getting thing, into those conspiracy theories now, which well, I'm not going to say are wrong, but I'm not going to say you're right either. Well, I mean, if it, <laughs> if it is a conspiracy, it's a conspiracy of archetypes that it's just, it seems like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just being pressed out of the ether and into mm-hmm. the way that we're talking about this stuff. But that thing about glass and glass metal and everything, I was like, well, this is the age. Like we're all, we're all looking at this little glass rectangle mm-hmm. all day. And that this, the, the, magic mirror or the the gazing ball that we've had in our our mythology for thousands of years is now this very real thing and with with its literalization we have now literalized all of these sort of fairy tale concerns about losing oneself in in the you know the contemplative process or opening like in uh, was it Scanners that film in the nineties where they you know they they open a door to the the spirit world through their, their yeah. experiments Did on you accident. Ever see Neil Postman's Technopoly, by the way. No, you're just full of great recommendations. <laughs> yeah, so um, I read Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. I think when I was still in high school, which is dated but extremely relevant. Like the examples are dated, but everything he says is very is still extremely relevant, especially with uh, our politics today. But he also wrote The Disappearance of Childhood, which is a very similar book to Amusing Ourselves to Death. But Technopoly, he really gets into the surrender of culture to technology. Um, And he kind of is like the predator, which kind of predates Rushkoff. And Rushkoff kind of has is like the extension of a lot of Postman's Mm. ideas, which also I was going to say for media literacy, especially with the young ones. Have you ever heard of the media show? (laughs) No. You, okay, you gotta look up the media show. We have like, um, so my brother was one of the co-founders of Noise Bridge up in San Francisco uh, with Mitch Altman and a couple other people, and I believe her name is Gus, and she does the media show from that area. <laughs> so some of the kids I mentor actually went to Hope. You know what Hope is? Hackers on Planet Earth. It happens biannually. It's a uh, 2600 which is the old school hacking club they put it on and anyway they met gus up there and it makes me happy when like it's all about uh, i don't know there's so many things like you said we, we're getting to these places where we're, we're being enveloped or we can be enveloped but it's also there's the potential as long as we to connect and to become different things as long as we are aware you know and i think that's the hardest thing is maintaining that awareness because there's so many things to get just sucked into like i'm gonna just binge netflix for the next four days which i can say i have done this (laughs) (laughs) because sometimes i just need to do that (laughs) to recover from whatever else it is that's going on in life Mm -hmm. so in these ways we like we, we have all these ideas we have all these tools everything's available to us but we also are you know apt to just kind of be like okay but i want to just receive it now like i i think like i have a lot of friends who are in cosplay communities or are very into fandoms or and all that type of thing Mm. but and it's always fascinating to me because i remember uh in the 90s i knew people who were really into writing fan fiction but with these fandoms and things and i'm sure it exists and i just don't know about it because i'm not really into things in that way but um but it seems like it's a mimicry and it's like these mimicries of different touchstones that people connect with. And that's their their connection to certain characters helps them reflect on certain things but, and finding mm. the people who also reflect in that certain way. But I'm kind of like, but where are you doing this? You're spending thousands of dollars and thousands of hours of time to create the perfect costume that is a mimic of somebody else's thought. Mm. And, um. I'm I'm still not sure what it, how I completely understand. Like it's still hard for me to s- completely understand that at some point. Do you uh, think Do you think that that's sort of akin to the ethical considerations surrounding guruship? 
And like these, <laughs> I think that these guys, you know, we we like we we idolize these super creative people, and we we demonstrate our devotion by Im- imitating them in the same way that somebody like Osho's explicit message is this is available to everybody this is in you it's right there but then the implicit message of the organization of his entire institution this this entire community that has sprouted up around him as a guru that the entire guru model is a like a bhakti devotional thing where people are actively encouraged to empty themselves out and replace whatever was in there with this ideal of the the person that is ironically providing this and again this is one of these you know this gets into the same issue with you know empowered or disempowered by our technologies it just i don't know that i don't know that there is an easy answer because you know for some people it's like you know their 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 comfort zone is adult coloring books you know yeah it's not and, it's not a, i'm going to paint an original fine art piece but i i'd have to say you know the thing is you know it's not that adult coloring books are necessarily a bad thing like sometimes people just need that focus and it's a good step to be able to focus on color and form and line and to just get to those simple things of color form and line so as somebody who's facilitated learning of computers from for people who are in senior populations to, you know, tiny bitty ones, I'd say like uh, things I always have, there's the student who's always, who comes in and is like, I've never touched a computer in my life. And I don't know how to do this. I can't do it. I can't do it. The computer sounds like, look, nobody's born knowing what a pixel was. Pixels were invented. This mouse, (laughs) this mouse was invented. (laughs) Like You can, you can learn a system. Tell me about things you've learned in your life that ha- you have been able to use to then progress from. Like, let's mm. start there. And I think uh, I actually think a lot of these adult coloring books, yes, that is or scrapbooking where everything is, um, you know, there's a lot of pre-made elements. I feel like that's a good entry point or it can be a good entry point or it can be a good meditation. I know some people who like love scrapbooking because it helps them focus on that memory and since they don't have to construct every single little thing at every single time it gives them a freedom to experience other parts of it and i think it's just making like like i said it takes that sometimes it takes that outside catalyst though to be like so maybe well you have a lot of sense of uh your palette that you've chosen to color this drawing in is really interesting I'd like to see what you would do with it next in a different area. And sometimes, mm. you know, and a lot of people won't ever be challenged or think even be putting themselves in a place where they'd be challenged to do that. Or sometimes they just might not be ready to do that at the time you think they're ready to do that. And making sure that you're understanding sometimes you just plant seeds that may grow up later and mm. that you're not in control. I think that whole guru thing, maybe that's one of the things that does freak me out sometimes it's got like the they have the answers they are the teacher they are the thing it's like yes but are they or are they just (laughs) or are they just a conduit to help you understand or be equipped or you know and uh, i think when we have concentrated power structures like i there's people in my life who deal with things that are outside of my experience i am not a person of color um, I, do, I have a disability, but I do not have certain other disabilities that some of my friends may have, but I can understand myself and I can understand my role as to maybe help. Like if I can help use who I am to work in concert with who they are to help them, you know, either have a larger voice or have, be empowered to do more. How are we understanding ourselves? Like, here's an example. I had a friend who um, was in a major city and they really wanted to, um, they were starting to become more aware of the social dynamics. They're a programmer. They make lots of money. She's wonderful. She's a fantastic person. But she's like, well, these people who are serving me my coffee are barely getting by. 
there's, you know, a lot of injustice is being done to them. Maybe I need to go work at a homeless shelter to help. And I'm like, okay, well, let's think about this. If you are you and you're working in that space, that may overwhelm you because of some of the things of how you process and how you, what are some things that are uniquely you that you've poured into? What if you went to the home, uh, what if you went to the organization and said, hey, I'm a programmer with this many years experience who can help you put together a database that will help connect different organizations and help bring more people together in a way. So that's honoring your unique gifts, but also helping other people bring themselves up as well in ways mm. that, that they may not have been able to, because you're becoming that outside catalyst who's going like, I know me and I have my thing that I have been trying to figure out and that I've sort of got a little bit of whatever it is. And I think I can use this to help you for a need I see being able to be that ally. That touches on a really intense question or puzzle that I've been holding for years as an adult, because there's this thing about, I've hosted a couple of interesting conversations about intergenerational dynamics lately, you know, about this, this issue of millennial entitlement. You know, are we really entitled or, or have our expectations changed due to our relative degree of technological empowerment or a relative degree, you know, in legal, medical, economic empowerment. I mean, I think it's like our generation is the first generation with a, a shorter lifespan than the one before it projected mm-hmm. lifespan. So there's like all these questions. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, have I fallen victim in some sense to the rhetoric that each of us can find a way to employ our unique gifts in the world and actually make a living satisfyingly by putting our distinct talents to use? Or is that basically uh, arrogant? In, like, is that, is that a, a privilege blindness thing where we all assume that we get to be this special person that does this thing? Kind of touching on what you were talking about earlier yeah. about, about success porn and Joseph Campbell, you know, follow your bliss stuff. And it really is this thing right. of like, no. You know, I keep finding myself having this revelation over and over and over that it, it, it is a waste of my time to try and serve. And it's a waste of the people's time that I'm trying to serve. If I'm not serving in a way that I'm actually skilled to serve or capable, you know, and so it's, it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, it does make more sense that your friend would, would offer coding skills than that she would volunteer in a soup kitchen. And yet that's obviously an ego thing. Yeah, which I have to say, you know, maybe I think everybody can pitch in. And, and, but that, and that, you know, if you're not good at the front of the house, there's plenty of stuff to do in the back of the kitchen. Um, It's just being able to be eager to have those opportunities to help. And be open to those opportunities to help, but understanding yourself that, you know, being able to knock yourself down a notch <laughs> and be like, okay, I can move packages from here to there. Anyone uh-huh. packages from here to there. But yes, also being aware that if you have had that access and that privilege and you understand, understanding your place in the power structure, I guess, if you have that place in that privilege, to understand that if you move those packages, if you are able to do that, because not everybody is, but if you have that ability to pack lunches in the back of the kitchen, great. If you have that ability to interact with people in the line, great. If you have that activity to give more, great. But I think, you know, but being able to understand that, you know, also not guilting people and or you never know where people are coming from. If you have the ability to give, I think you should be trying to figure out how to do that successfully and, you know, not being guilting yourself into it, not overdoing it so that you're doing it for to a place where it hurts, but also not doing it to where you're trying to guilt other people into doing it, but that we need to um, cultivate more of that place where that's a thing. Um, like mm. mentoring, like <laughs> mentoring, like I love people who are like, I, I spent five minutes with somebody. I mentored them. It is great. And I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mentoring is, it's not, 
I mean, it can be hard, but um, it's more about having that consistent connection about, hey, I care. <laughs> like, mm. And how do we have those consistent connections? And how are we, if somebody says they need help, they're like, are you able to humble yourself when you need to? And are you also able to value yourself when you need to? And yes, since we are in a transitional period, there are a lot of things that still suck that still need to get done, which will be automated at some point. But understanding that those things that suck that need to get done still need to get done. And the people who need to do them often need to do them out of necessity because we haven't figured out how to transition our structure yet. And that there's no shame in that. And I think it's, it's just trying to find those places. Like, where do you fit in your dynamic and power structure? Yes, you should be um, serving in a way that is unique to your gifts, but also understanding that just getting out there and doing it is important. <laughs> Maybe, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's like, I feel like we're, we're a, one of my tired sawhorses is, is that we're moving into an age where like either or questions are obsolete. Yeah. That we need to find a way to talk about how both it is and, and isn't the both. both. So yeah, like, yes, it's absurd for us to operate on the conceit that it is possible in this world to create a system where everyone is fulfilled in their work, whatever that is. But it's also absurd, as Louis C.K. pointed out, that we be like sitting in a chair in the sky and can fly from one end of the country in this magical <laughs> sky chariot to the other in a matter of hours. So, you know, it's, again, it's like the, what unreasonable women don't make history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Some, it's something like that. I do have to say though, and I think that those are good, exactly the kind of points where I was going to go. There are certain people who I are dear to me who will be like, well, look, here's the exception. So therefore everything you said is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Because, there are places where rules are necessary. Like if you're working with a CNC machine that can take off your arm, like, <laughs> this lathe will kill you. This lathe will dismember you. If, if you do not treat it with respect, there are certain boundaries that are non-negotiable. There are certain things that, you know, I'm the coolest person and I know so much about everything. Like, that's great. You still need to be apprenticed into this. You know, you still have to understand that there are some things that are hard and worth working for. If you really want to get to that next level, you have to understand how this system is and how it works. Like, if you're going to use a laser cutter, you need to make sure that you have proper ventilation and not put certain materials in it that can, you know, um, like vinyl. You can't cut vinyl in a laser cutter. Ooh, that's good to know because I'm getting a laser cutter and it's like, oh yeah, don't no vinyl. No, vinyl will create chlorine gas and it will kill your your laser cutter and kill you. It's not good. (laughs) So I think it's interesting because in our world today, we have so many connections and we have so much ability to improve ourselves, our ability to talk to people through magical telecommunication devices like we are right now, which as McLuhan, I don't know if you're a big Marshall McLuhan fan. I assume yeah. Super M, you know, but his whole like disembodied voices going over, you know, electronical media. Now I'm like, well, at least now I've got a face attached to it. But- Definitely. <laughs> and we, you know, we've got maybe about five minutes left. That's a that's a good spot to to cut in there and say this issue. Um, I wanted to bring this up earlier, actually. This thing about disability and augmented reality and new computing models and the the notion that. We lose the screen at the moment that the screen wraps around everything, which was mm-hmm. kind of like in, in line with also the Google Glass piece of this, which was that right after I had created a, a discussion group about surveillance and privacy and tech stuff, Corning, the glass company, made this extremely beautiful like 10-minute YouTube commercial called mm-hmm. The Glass Age, where they were, it was like this weird thing where I was using like the, the poetry using to describe or characterize the world that we're living had suddenly become this like multi-million dollar piece of corporate advertising <laughs> rhetoric. And it was, it was a total like uncanny involution kind of moment. But uh, yeah, this notion of composite glass surfaces wrapping around everything. 
meaning that we no longer are attached to this little box. And when yeah. you get into like McLuhan stuff about the medium is the message and this issue that right now, to the extent that we've got Aldous Huxley calling the brainstem, the reducing valve of consciousness, like filter and that psychedelics dilate that reducing valve, then something like the Microsoft HoloLens or augmented reality in general is a dilation of the reducing valve of yeah. the like 4k screen, you know, well, and who um who works at Magic Leap, and I think they're going to blow everything out of the water. I think um, there's another person I met at a teacher training conference called Visitech, and if Visitech and Magic Leap are in, like any indication of what's to come, which I think they are, it's yes, it's going to be amazing. Like it's it, it's a it's going to be a complete shift. It's kind of like how. Um, how media has always shifted things and but like specifically specifically there's an ergonomic dimension to this where we're moving it's very like plato's cave like we're sitting here chained to the to this computer looking at this little thing right. we can't turn around and and <laughs> look behind me i can't get out of a chair you know i envy people with standing desks right. you know i have a friend she and i are always talking about this this issue you know she gets this repetitive strain through you know from typing and this longing this this like almost romantic yearning for a gestural interface just so that i can like you know i can move freely and dance well, and like thing interact is, everything is here i mean the connect have you worked with a microsoft connect uh have you not enough to really feel like i'm i'm, I'm, I'm not writing my book with a connect have you played you know? one of their dancing games though i mean the gestural tracking on there is like you have actual moves that it will track your body into actual places to hit it. And yeah, actually I have a friend who's, um, she's, that's one of her big things is like, why don't we have a gestural keyboard that works? Which I'm really not sure why nobody has done that. Um, well, isn't the, isn't the keyboard itself kind of like a, a, a keyboard in yeah. virtual reality will just be like, you know, skeuomorphic. Like it'll just be, it'll be like a vestige, you know, it's like, there's gotta be a better way to input letters through the the movement of the entire body in a way that's that's still something that you can do on a subway seat you know that's and not like that's, ostentatious I think question. and i think that's that's really why we're on the cusp of these things is like what are those things how can we bring that together and like bringing people who have studied methods of communication like what's the thing that's been going around people who communicated through drums um over miles and miles and miles that's like one of the oldest and best ways of communicating was uh through a drum beat and like so how like people who study that type of stuff working with the people who are extremely good at um doing the technical side and until recently and you know last 15 years and i'm probably even pushing it is you know how are we integrating these systems and how are we instead of because, you know, it used to be science is over here. Art is over here. You know, we have anthropologists and we have sociologists. Why would we ever want to mix these? And, you know, the more things are becoming into these structures that integrate also into the community. I think we're going to see a lot of interest more and more interesting conversations being had and being able to be participated. And um, that's another huge thing that's, extremely new to this kind of age is like this participatory i exist because i participate how many youtube videos out there are there like of people participating within these things you mean destroying the subject object division by taking bong rips of salvia on youtube ironically <laughs> extracting the subject object division and displacing it onto the viewer who's watching <laughs> you lose your mind Richard Doyle talks about that, about like extracting DMT from mimosa and how in order to get the active ingredient out of the plant, you have to replace the ecosystem of, cy of phytochemicals with this ecosystem of lab equipment. And that we never, we never really get away from our entanglement with the environment. You know, we're always embedded in it, but it's just like, you can just like, well, okay, I'm not going to be self-aware. That's the epic fail trope in, in video. Like I'm not going to be self-aware but you are going to be aware, millions of viewers are going to be aware of my mistake, mm -hmm. you know? And we don't seem to be able to, like, truly get rid of 
the self or the other, even as we like totally deconstruct that shit. But we didn't even get into it. Like that's a, that's that's completely off. Maybe we need a part two. I, I think, think we've we got do. a lot more I think things we to do. do. There's there's you're you're a a wealth of interesting leads. <laughs> I, I because that. yeah because we have to go. Where can people find out more about your work? Um, SusanMolnar.com, which is by no means comprehensive. I have so much stuff that's not on there, but it's the nice version of me at the moment. And hey, it exists. I am happy that I actually got some sort of thing up there. So my last name is M-O-L-N-A-R. And one of these days, hopefully I'll put the rest of it up somewhere. <laughs> no, we, we can't ever. It's the, it's the present shock thing. We're never going to catch up to ourselves. No. That's just no. not possible. Just not. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that we finally made this conversation happen after yes. almost half a year of talking about it. And 50 emails. Did you see that today? I was like, we have 50 emails in that chain. <laughs> I am so glad this happened. I feel accomplished now. Yes. You know, you are truly a skilled educator, Susan. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. I think it'll take fewer than 50 emails to get you back on the, the podcast sometime soon. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, take care. Have a good one. Thanks for listening, friends. Please remember to subscribe to Future Fossils Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And be sure to visit patreon.com slash Michael Garfield, where you can find older episodes of this, as well as chapters of the book I'm writing on evolutionary theory. Thanks so much, and have a magnificent day. And we may not ever...